This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. And this is ATC Presents Daebak K Rambles, where a couple of friends review Korean dramas. I'm here today with a special guest. It is Mina from K-Pop Bookshelf. Hey, what's up? Hey, how is, how is it going? It's going well. Um, we were talking before we started recording, and I am so excited <laughs> to have you on. I was telling you that I'm a huge fan of your podcast, that I've heard oh, a you. bunch of episodes, and my favorite one <laughs> Actually, it's like the most div- divisive one, I guess, is the 1982, like the feminist prose series that you yes. did. It was like a series of like three back to back podcast episodes. And it was it like made me very upset. <laughs> right. So that book, Kim Ji-yong, born 1982, was a very controversial book in Korea. And I just found it so interesting because by American feminist rhetoric standards, I don't think it was all that uh, all that crazy of a book or like outrageous of a book, but it really hit a nerve in Korea. It hit a nerve in me too, especially because your podcast is so well-researched. And so you were bringing in a lot of other stats and I was like, oh my God, I was getting mad, right? Yeah. But I love your podcast and I'm so excited to have you on. I was actually a little bit afraid because you're so soft-spoken in your podcast. (laughs) And I that's was true. Like, that's not my real life voice. Right, right, right. We were talking before and I was like, oh my gosh, she's so like animated and it's great. So I was worried that you would be very chill when I got <laughs> on this call with you, but you're not. You're you're amazing. And again, Thank your you. solo podcasting is very difficult. I admire you so much for doing that. I don't know right. if I've ever done a solo pod before but it's hard it's hard to keep it 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 is it's hard to talk to yourself and I'm like usually recording late at night which accounts for why I'm a little bit more soft-spoken in that podcast because it's always like 2 a.m and I live in an apartment building so I don't want to disturb everybody else so but yeah yeah I'm Hispanic so I feel like I'm always yelling in the mic (laughs) and then Rico's like you gotta you gotta back away from the mic like he's giving me all these pointers and I'm like whatever just like let's go (laughs) I definitely can get very loud as well. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it is so nice to see you and meet you for the first time. Um, In an effort to just get to know you better, I know that some people may not have listened to your podcast. So what is like your K-drama background before we jump into this review that we're going to do today, which is on Navilera? Navilera, yes. Yes. Um, So my K-drama background actually started with J-dramas. I used to take Japanese classes, language classes at a Japanese school. That was after I visited Japan. And I first started watching J-dramas. And I was like, these are ridiculous. I love it. This is like so weird. Um, Because some of the first ones I saw were very bizarre storylines. And then from there, my cousins who were very big K-pop fans, they were like, you got to get into K-pop. And I was like, no, I wasn't (laughs) like into it at all yet. And so then Kai from EXO was in a Japanese drama oh forget it um yeah and so I was like well maybe I, I saw I took one look at him and I was like okay maybe I'll maybe I'll watch this drama is with beautiful <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly 
exactly. And I forget the name of it now. It's like something about spring. Um, but uh, anyway, so I watched Kai and I kind of had like a very vague awareness of who he was. And then my cousins were like, are you ready now to watch K-dramas and get into like Korean stuff? And so I watched, you know, everyone's gateway drug to K-dramas, uh, Boys Over Flowers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and I was like, wow, this is very uh, interesting to, to put it one way, because that is, I think, such a I think when you rewatch it or when you think about it, you're like, what did I wa- just watch? Like, why? What's <laughs> a fever this dream? Like, so, yeah, it's like really weird. Um, but yeah, so that's my K drama history. Basically. Love it. Yeah. I think you have here my Odyssey, my Mister as well. Yeah. So, is that like a drama that you really admire? I do. I loved the acting in my Ajashi, uh, also known as my mister. And I like kind of now it's so funny because Boys Over Flowers and some of the J, early J dramas I watch are nothing like these kind of more serious, uh, almost like police procedurals um, or like <laughs> mysteries. And uh, not that I, my Ajashi is that, but my Ajashi is like a very quiet, very, um, the motions are kind of all in their face. They, they, there's not a lot of yeah. Super a lot of talking because the, the both main characters are kind of quiet people. And IU and uh, his name is Casey, but the actor who is from Parasite. Yes. The Ajashi <laughs> and my Ajashi was so, so good. And um, he's good at like everything. So I love that. that yeah. Kind of you, now. I mean, you would never know this, but we just recorded an episode for my Mr. For season two. And like it hasn't been released yet. Like we're talking now. The episode isn't out yet. So you would never know. But like I... I like cried during that show and I cried on the episode as well. So it really uh, hit a nerve for me. And the show that we're going to talk about now is also one of those shows that like hit a really, it hit me right in the feels Mm -hmm. and the last episode like completely wrecked me. So we'll get going on it. Thank you so much for talking about your K-drama background. I feel like everyone is like, oh yeah, boys over flowers. (laughs) Oh God, what a drama. Okay. So before we get started, we'll do some housekeeping. If this is your first time listening, go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and so many more. If you like us, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts. That goes such a long way for us to get discovered by listeners just like you. And then come and check us out on social media where I basically run wild with our accounts on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at ATC Pod. And if you're a fan, please, please consider becoming a patron. It's a great way for you to get involved and show your support. You can check out the page on patreon.com slash alwayscriticpod, which is our movie podcast. Don't get, don't get discouraged when you see always the critic. That's what ATC stands for. <laughs> All right. So we're going to get going on our review of Navilera. Would you... Want to do the honors of reading the Asian wiki synopsis? I can read it. It's kind of long, but if you want to read it, be my guest. Yes, I will read it. Hold okay. I'm going to put my glasses real quick. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so the wiki synopsis, Asian wiki synopsis is, Shim Dok-tul has had a lifelong dream of performing ballet. Due to life situations, he put aside his dream of becoming a ballet dancer and worked a normal job to support his family. He is now 70 years old and retired. Now, Shim Dok-tul makes the decision to pursue his dream again. He joins a ballet company to learn ballet, and there he meets Yi Terok. Iterok is a 23-year-old man. His mother was a ballet dancer, but she died from a disease when he was young. Iterok learned that he has a talent for ballet, but after pursuing ballet, he barely has contact with his father, and he has a hard time supporting himself financially. At this time, Shim Doktul appears in his life. 
Yes. So thank you so much for reading the synopsis. Navilera aired originally from March to April 2021. So it's a pretty recent drama. We are in the year 2022 right now for mm-hmm. uh, the future purposes because it's hard to tell. This show is 12 episodes long, not 16. And it's directed by Hando Kwa. And he directed Squad 38, among other things. This show is written by Hun and Jimin, which are, they are the writers of the webcomic. This was originally uh, a webtoon. And then the screenwriter is Mi, and she wrote Tunnel from 2017, which is good to know. This show stars Pak Hwan as Sim Dok Chul, and he is a very well-known actor. He's been in the biz forever. He's had He has nearly 30 credits to his name for just movies. And that includes The Odd Family, Zombie on Sale from 2019. I recently watched that movie for the first time. It's on Amazon Prime right now. Oh, really? Yes, he's. It, it's a zombie movie, but it's, it's a comedy. So definitely give it a watch. It's funny. And then he's also in Miss Granny from 2014. Also very funny. I think that's on Netflix right now. He for TV, he has nearly 40 credits to his name, including The Present is Beautiful from this year. This is coming out this year in April and then School 2021, he's also in that show. Song Kang plays Ichirok and he is kind of well known now for being an eight guy, I would say. And yeah. he was first seen in The Liar and His Lover. That was like his breakout role in 2017. And then he went on to do Love Alarm, seasons one and two on Netflix. I personally would not recommend Love Alarm. Oh, really? Yeah, I did not like Love Alarm. Did you like Love Alarm? I have it on my list. And I never actually have gotten to it yet. So actually, it's interesting you said that. Yeah, no, I wouldn't recommend Love Alarm. He was in Sweet Home, which is also a Netflix original in 2020. And that one's like a horror K-drama. Of course, he was in Nevertheless in 2021, and he's currently in Forecasting Love and Weather with Park Min Young, and the it's coming out this year. It's current, currently airing right now at the time of recording. I, I think he's the Netflix guy now. Oh yeah, yeah, because he's been in a ton of Netflix shows. They just keep casting him. Don't they call him like the Prince of Netflix or something? I oh, saw is that, that what somewhere. They... <laughs> yeah, I saw that. That I makes don't know a if lot of like... sense. I don't know who calls him that, but someone <laughs> I saw it uh, here and there that they call him the Prince of Netflix. So. I believe it. And or there's Netflix's son, maybe. Netflix's oh, Netflix's son. son. Well, that's something like that. <laughs> yeah. He keeps getting cast in Netflix originals and good for him. I mean, good for him. Did yeah. you like this show after all has all this has been said? The <laughs> housekeeping is out of the way. We know the cast and everyone behind the scenes. What did you think of Navillera? Um, should I give my rating now or should I just... Oh, oh, you can give your rating now if you want to out of, uh, (laughs) what would you give this show out of five soldier bottles and like, why, why would you give it that rating? Okay. So I would give it only a three, which is, I think a low balling a little bit, but that's because, um, I loved like the potential of the show and I don't think it ever quite got to a certain point where I could get, where I could give it a five. Like I could see it being a five, if that makes any sense. But some of the things I didn't like about it was like so many little individual character plot lines, but there was, it was left a lot of like really undeveloped. They didn't really delve into their motivations or like establish like, how do these people, why do these people care about each other? Why should I care about them? And when they did manage to say some things about the characters, I felt like it was really late in the season of the show. 
Yeah. So that's why I only give it three soju bottles. But I feel like if they ever remake this or something, which probably will never happen, or if there's like another country, like a Japanese or someone remakes it, um, maybe it would be better. Wow. Okay. So I didn't expect you to, I mean, yeah, you kind of said that you were lowballing it, but I would probably give it three and a half to four soju bottles. Four if I'm being generous, but I think sitting right now, it'd be a three and a half soju bottles. And basically I thought that it could have been shorter. Like it could have been probably eight episodes versus 12 episodes. So there was like a lot of fat that could have been trimmed. I kind of agree and kind of disagree with when you say that some characters could have had more development because I feel like towards the end of the show, a lot of arcs like were they did were they completed. did suddenly tie a bunch of things. Yeah, uh, yeah, which is nice. But I think honestly, the central relationship between Song Kang's character and In Hwan's character is so beautiful that so beautiful it covers a lot of sins. <laughs> I I actually agree with that. Yeah, it was very sentimental. And like, that's why I say like, there was so much potential, but they and, and like you were saying, it was a little bit longer for like what it really had to be. And some of the characters, there was like too much information. I was like, I don't care about these people. Like, why are we dwelling on this? Um, And then there was other characters and relationships. I was like, where's more of this? Like, where is this coming from? So it was a little bit of a double edged thing. Yeah, I would say that the cinematography was absolutely stunning. Mm-hmm. that's a yes. major plus for the show I would say that the, the dialogue and the amount of quotable lines in this was like a lot like you, you're just yeah. overwhelmed by the amount of nuggets that they're throwing at you left and right yes honestly I can soar we need to soar <laughs> can we, yeah. yeah oh god yeah well <laughs> we can talk about that too in the yeah. spoiler section but I ended up falling mildly in love with the family and I yes. thought that I would be very in love with the family like there's other uh, k-drama families that you're like i love this family i love this crew they're so mesmerizing to watch on screen and i feel like i'm a part of their family watching them for 16 hours or what have you makes me feel like i'm in this drama with them i'm feeling their emotions and to a certain extent i was but i was more on the side of Dokchul, uh haraboji yeah than I was like anybody else on the show. So when they were all together, it wasn't very, it was organic, but not necessarily, uh, what's the word? I didn't want to like return to them. Okay. Well, I mean, that's what I mean. Like the one-to-one relationships with Haraboji and like his granddaughter, Haraboji and certain other adult children, like those were interesting. But when the house was completely full, even though I do feel they had chemistry as a cast or they had chemistry as um, a family, on TV family, it wasn't as heartwarming as just like the one-to-one relationships with everyone, like even with the mom and her Mm -hmm. kids Mm -hmm. or like Terok and Haraboji. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. I found that portions of this show hit too close to home for me and they it felt like I was watching the saddest thing I've ever watched. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. I, I don't want to give anything away in spoilers, but I've had um, certain family members go through the same thing that this main character has gone through. Yeah. And as a caregiver in a lot of instances, I feel like this family was going through the stages of grief. Yes, for sure. And they were going on a really strong, heavy emotional journey that wasn't quite portrayed as well as it probably could have been. Right. There were certain scenes where I was like, this is very accurate. And I was like bawling. But then other scenes, I was like, we could extend this. Like, I don't know. It just seemed 
like it was too much and not enough at the same time. I definitely can see that because I feel like they were kind of going with the with the assumption that a lot of the audience would kind of figure out the you know gravity oh, yeah. of the situation. I'm trying to spoil it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and and I don't know that everybody does necessarily really understand like what exactly this all means. exactly so. that's exactly what I'm trying to say is that there's a lot of implications and underlying things like consequences. I I would say is a good word for what Hadaboji is doing and like what what his diagnosis means. Right. And I'm not sure that they really kind of cover the gravity of like what is happening and what, like the family, how they're processing it. Like they're throwing ideas out. Like, how do we deal with this? And I'm like, mm-hmm. you don't get it. <laughs> yeah. 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 I will say this is going to sound um, harsh or something, but I felt like they spent too much time on ballet. Uh, <laughs> no, no, wait, wait. Hear me out. Hear me out. Because <laughs> they spent too much time on ballet. Okay. No, because it felt like the I'm gonna get so defensive now. No, I'm kidding. The one scene, or like it felt like it was just one scene that they filmed once and they kept showing it over and over again, which True. is like the body double in the in the practice room, like doing like pirouettes or I don't know all the ballet terms, but right, he's doing all this stuff, which looked cool the first like few times, but then they kept. I I swear it seemed like they were either just doing the exact same camera angles yeah, or they yeah. were just playing the same footage. I agree. It's like if we cut that down a little bit, we could have delved more into like what you're talking about mm-hmm. with the diagnosis or the family's like struggle about like how do we deal with this? How do we handle this? I agree completely. Yeah, they kept reusing. It felt like they were reusing footage and you're right. The ballet sequences, at first I was like, oh, they're doing this really well. And then I was like, they're not doing this well at all because the cut, it was so abrupt, right? Like it was either they were shown from the waist up or they were shown way far away, like in shadow. And you can tell that that's obviously not them. Yeah, it's not Hadabaji and it's not Song Kang doing the ballet. So it's, it's, annoying it's annoying because it's it was distracting it was like I was like I want to see their faces now these talented lovely dancers yes especially especially in the finale I was like okay this is their time to really showcase what they can do what these actors have learned over the course of 12 episodes I know that they've probably been training behind the scenes and actually Song Kang spent five to six months training ballet before they started filming so I'm like Okay, they're gonna showcase these people, and we're, it's gonna be evident that it's the actors doing this ballet. Mm-hmm. Not the case. <laughs> <laughs> no. By the way, I have a fun fact about Song Kang from uh, when I was researching for this episode. Yeah, which is that his father is a or was a gymnast. Oh, so, uh, fun fact for you all. I didn't which I know thought that. Was, yeah, relevant because um, he mentioned in some interviews just like how he was worried about trying to do ballet and whether he'd be good at it, whether he would look good or like just looked look really bad or like it just be a complete <laughs> fail. And then he talked. It was revealed, I guess, that his father was a gymnast in the past. And I don't know like what level of gymnast gymnastics they were you know he was doing but uh song kong was able to kind of talk about it with his dad like you know right do i look bad (laughs) (laughs) that's good yeah no i didn't know that and there's a certain level of athleticism that comes with just watching song kong do ballet or i attempt to do ballet because i couldn't see if he was really doing ballet most of the time but i think that he pulled it off pretty well and I just wish that they had given them the they given their performance the the time that it should have been given or the way that it should have been filmed should have been different. 
Um, what's an example of like, oh, uh, Black Swan is a great movie that has body doubles, but you know, they use CGI and all this stuff to put Natalie Portman's face onto the ballerina's face. And of course, Natalie Portman, like Song Kang, spent months learning ballet and getting the forms right so that it could be as seamless as possible. And that's a movie that I feel could have been an inspiration for the way that this was shot, that Navillera could have been shot. I'm going to age myself and shout out another ballet movie, which is Center Stage. Okay, <laughs> Center <I get> Stage, <laughs> um, which came out like in maybe 2002 or something. But they and it, it, it featured actual ballerinas and ballerinos. So it's a little bit different in terms of how to film it. But how to film the dancing. I agree because like there's a way I felt watching Center Stage that it was so exciting. It was so like you got like how cutthroat is the ballet like field mm-hmm. or like how like intense everything is. Like I, Nothing is just like whatever. It's mm-hmm. like life or death for all the dancers and for Song Kang's character uh, Taerok you do feel like it's life or death for him but he has like these other survival struggles um, anyway <laughs> but in center stage it was just like wow this is, this is like good dance versus this is bad dance and this is like amazingly hard uh, versus do you ever watch like Project One Way and you like start or some show like that and you're like <laughs> yeah. oh that stitch is wrong or like oh right, that right. Um, so you're like suddenly you're like you're an expert in fashion or whatever or like in uh, clothing manufacturing so it, I got that sense from like center stage which um, was kind of a corny movie but like I loved it when I was younger and I was hoping Navilera would kind of inspire these feelings in me about dance like I'll suddenly be really passionate about dance mm. I'll want to take ballet lessons and I didn't feel like that partially because of like recycled footage or whatever was going on I don't know what that was yeah but Chara, or, uh, Song Kang not, I'm like calling by his character's name Song Kang did do I thought a good job of like at least giving off ballerino vibes right mm-hmm, however much dancing mm-hmm. he actually did on on the footage so yeah yeah I don't think that maybe the filmmakers or sorry the showrunners weren't as comfortable with showing the actors from the waist down and maybe I'm not gonna throw this out there is it because they were in tights no, I actually think Balor, from what I know, and again, a lot of what I know is from Center Stage <laughs> and Black Swan, is that um, the footwork and stuff is has to be so precise yeah. or else from like a ballet, like to be his level of a ballerino, he would have to be nailing the footwork. And I don't know who they hired to have a bunch of time to be on a drama as like a body double and do the, these kinds of scenes, but it, may, it probably wasn't like the principal ballerino of, <laughs> of whatever <laughs> Korean you know dance company. So um, that's my thing. They just were trying to downplay any kind of technical critique they might have gotten from the dance community Mm. um if that's a thing i'm kind of guessing it might be so i think that's why they kind of i was thinking more like oh to protect their like (laughs) dignity because they'd be in tights but uh yeah i agree that if they're not good enough get a double but at the same time it was it was like flash dance level like it's like okay that's a man dressed as a woman and like well, that's why it's like, why it. are we watching this scene so many times or scenes of them practicing in the practice room so It many felt monotonous, times. repetitive, yes, recycled. Yes, boring. It made dance look boring. Like, why? So, right. I, I agree. That's a major complaint of mine. Did you have any other major complaints that you wanted to talk about generally before we get into spoilers? Um, well, without giving spoilers, I did think the characters were so, this is just me maybe, but the characters were so confusing. Like, I didn't understand why the Magne, uh, Doc Jules Magne, his youngest son, was like this depressed former doctor. Like, um. what was his whole deal? And then I, and I, I we finally got some of that <laughs> way, way later, like what it was, what his deal was. Yeah. Or like, um, 
you know, I felt like the daughter's husband was seen as like a, kind of a loser because he didn't go to college. And I was yeah. like, why do we care about this again? Like, I know why, but like, why, why does this family care that mm. much about this? Or um, the bully, there's like a bully, uh, not to spoiler anything, but the bully's whole dilemma with Oh, yeah, that was bullshit. That was bullshit. I was like, what is this? What is happening? Like, anyway, so that's my biggest complaint was like everything took too long to develop. And then some of things didn't get like as developed as I would have liked to have seen it. So, yeah, true, true. Okay, I agree with you completely. And at this point, I think we're just going to get into spoilers. (laughs) So if you don't care to be spoiled, keep listening. But if you haven't watched Navilera, I would suggest you go watch it and then come back and listen to our spoiler talk. So we're going to get started on spoilers right after this. Hey, you want to come in? Okay, so we're on the other side of spoilers for Navilera, and we're going to talk through all of the things that probably we didn't like. So you mentioned the, the Magne character, who is the youngest son of our Haraboji and he was like a surgeon and gave up his whole career for what? Like I got it kind of at the beginning when he was like, kept wearing the, the clogs, clogs, the Crocs. That's what they are. He kept wearing Crocs and it was like the middle of winter and he's wearing Crocs. And it was to remind him of the blood that fell on the Crocs during one of his last surgeries. He lost a patient Mm -hmm. And he was saying, oh, I already like said his time of death, but his blood was still falling on my shoes and it was warm. His blood was still warm. Yeah, it sounded like he had a botched surgery and that's why, correct me if I'm wrong, and that's why he quit the field of medicine entirely, which like, bro, you're going to be a doctor. Like, that's going to happen. I wish they (laughs) said, I know, I know. First of all, I know you should be jaded by now because you're, you cannot save 100% of your patients unfortunately unfortunately and that's very a very sad reality and I guess he kind of hit up against this wall in his mind and heart where he was feeling hopeless and I think they should have said that a little bit better in the dialogue maybe they he had a personal like not an actual personal connection to this the patient who passed away me but maybe he saw something in him like oh my gosh this guy's my age or oh Mm. my gosh this person's a brother and a father or whatever this person's living some amazing life or they did gave us nothing about why he cares so much about this patient and i was i thought that was i was like why is he this depressed it just didn't make sense it didn't make sense that he wanted to do a whole documentary on the uh the patient and the patients that he lost which seemed like a terrible thing to do like I'm like are you thinking this through you don't think that that's there's going to be a bit of a backlash from the family or the friends from these deceased patients like he didn't like think it through he thought he was doing a good thing or maybe just it was so selfish almost for him to like go poking at this well, because he's he obviously had unanswered questions, but mm. we don't know what they were. We had no reason to like get yeah. it or like why why are you making a documentary? It just seems so random. And I and thought, even, okay, yeah. go go right ahead, go right ahead. No, I was gonna say even wearing the Crocs. Okay, yes, the blood was warm, but like it takes. I don't know the whole thing. I was like, if you work for any amount of time in around a hospital, it's like not that deep. Not to be mean about it, but just like blood <laughs> gets cold after someone dies. Um, you yeah. don't have to go around wearing those Crocs forever. I don't know. Like they try to make it more sentimental than it was. And I think if you're if you've ever seen someone who's gone through medical school and training, or if you've been someone who's gone through medical school or training, 
like this is not your first death. It's not probably not your first death at your hand, you know, by your hand almost. You wouldn't get this worked up unless you're like, oh my gosh, this was my brother. Right. Oh my gosh, this was my best friend. Yeah, so. there has to be a certain level of professionalism. And even though you're in a life or death situation and people are depending on you, you it this is your job. You do this day in and day out. And sure, it gets to you. But like, do you quit your entire career over it? Uh, it didn't seem like there was enough for him to dislike the job. Like maybe he didn't. I, I In my mind, this was what I was, what I was thinking was that he was a closeted creative and that he wanted to be in a more creative uh, job. And so he chose documentary. I was, I was like, oh, he's a filmmaker. Like he wants to be in that field versus in the medical field. So it was never a good fit for him. Not the case at all. Like I made up this whole story in my head. No, he was, <laughs> well, I was not. Gonna say because that was kind of where what I thought where I thought it was going to where like his he kind of became a doctor to satisfy his parents' mm-hmm. whole deal. Mm-hmm. But then he kept going to visit his former doctor colleagues and friends, and he was like constantly at the hospital. Yeah, he was constantly, and he was never actually making almost never actually making the documentary except for like a couple steps he made where like scouted a location and he uh, you know had some cameras or whatever. Then he finally started doing the other documentary. So I was like, I do not get this and. Not to you know shame anyone's whatever mixed feelings, depression, trauma, whatever he had going on, but I wish they would have shared it with us yeah. or been like when he you know when he was younger he wished he did this and he felt like a failure. What was it that was so bad? Right? Was mm-hmm. did he feel like he failed? Did he feel like he let something down himself down? It just made no real sense ultimately. Yes, we're <laughs> we agree on that. We can yeah. talk about the son-in-law character who was like trying to be a politician. He was like a wannabe yeah. po- politician trying to go for like local government. And to me, that was kind of a poop storyline because it was very, (laughs) (laughs) it was very unsatisfactory. The guy didn't win his election. He seemed to be a burden on his wife who was very frustrated with him, kept saying like, oh, I don't know about this and kept like just looking down upon him and not necessarily because he didn't have a college education, but because he didn't have any he didn't have any realistic goals and he didn't yeah, have he was a little wishy-washy. He was wishy-washy and just needed a lot of uh, um, confidence boosting. And then he wasn't good at anything he did. So like at that point, like you should probably switch to something else. It seemed like they were in debt all the time. The mom, the mom character, um, how wife kept giving her money? Like they were mm-hmm. struggling. Yeah, and also it was interesting because the I felt like towards the end, finally, if, um, the husband redeemed. This sounds horrible. Redeemed himself <laughs> because he, when Harabuji was facing his diagnosis and everything, he was the one who's like, "We can take care of him. We can manage this. We can do this. You're my yes. family. I'm your son too." Yeah, yeah. And 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 it sort of like painted this thing because I felt like in the beginning they were painting. Harabuni, the grandma, to be like someone who was so hung up on maybe status or like just never wanted to be like struggling with money again. Yeah. She wanted all her kids to be super settled, successful, etc. And he wasn't like helping her daughter to achieve that. But then he was like, look, I'm family, like we're a family. And so it's not always about, I think it was like a reminder of like, it's not always about status or position in life or, you know, whether or not you're, you can make decisions. It's also just about being a reliable family member. Yeah, I agree with that. That was something that I wish I would have touched on more is that there was a weird dichotomy between the spouses that married into the family and then the sons and daughters of uh, Harabaji. Mm-hmm. And that they seemed to be like second class citizens within the family. Like they didn't have any yeah. say. They were voicing their opinions and like the other siblings are like, you can't say anything. You're not even you're not even part of this family, which out of line, 
They should have been slapped years ago. Like you can tell these are like old married couples. They've been married for like yes. over a decade. And still yeah, they like they were so loyal. They both were like, yeah, yeah, we'll take him in. We'll do whatever. Like we'll drop everything. And I was like, why? Why are you again? The like lack of like explaining motivations or people's like whatever. Like, yeah. why are you doing this? Um, they didn't. It's not like we saw Harabuji super close to either of those children-in-law because it just wasn't within the scope of this drama yeah there probably was something but we didn't see it i think that they showcased uh the spouses being taken care of by the haraboji especially with the wife of the oldest son mm-hmm. who supported haraboji when he came out and said he wanted to do ballet she was right. unconditionally supportive of him and they did a flashback of her as a new mom and she was struggling. She was struggling to find her identity as a new mom. She struggled because she wanted to go back to working full time. And her husband was like relegating her to the house and being a full time mom. And so she was like, he supported me during that. I know that you came to the house and were taking care of your granddaughter while I was struggling at talking through my issues with my mom on the phone. And it seemed like that was so profound to her and it left such a mark on her that she was like, I lo- you're, you're mine. I'm yours and I'm going to support you. I didn't feel like there was that closeness with the husband, the politician <laughs> husband. Right. Especially because he got ragged on so much by yeah. not Harabuji, but like everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> but his wife, which was their daughter, had this profound, amazing emotional moment in the final episode where she cries and begs her dad not to go into the nursing home and let them take care of him, let her take care of him. She was going through this whole infertility uh, crisis throughout her married life and they never were able to have children. It's a huge emotion emotional journey that kind of came to an end during the show where she said, I'm giving up, like I can't. I can't. And I also wondered, like, she was giving up anyways on trying to pursue this building a family, at least through biological means. But then when she found out about Harabuji's diagnosis, I almost feel like maybe they're trying to tell us, and it could just be me, like, making this up, but maybe they're trying to tell us that she found a purpose, like, the purpose Mm. or whatever role, like, having a child would have filled in her life or whatever fulfillment that would have brought her. Now she was kind of channeling that into taking care of her father. Exactly. Yeah. She basically said instead of paying it forward with her own children she'd pay him back for all the kindness and care that he showed her growing up and she cited this one thing of he always picked her up from school whenever it rained oh yeah we're just like oh i was crying i was crying i was emotional it was uh i personally my grandfather um passed away many years ago but he also had Alzheimer's and he died oh, basically so bedridden and of Alzheimer's, like his body just shut down. And the fact that she cited that he came to get her from school and it was a rain, whenever it rained, he was, it's such a subtle thing, but my grandfather used to pick me up from school every day. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So it was like, Oh, just like gut wrenching. It hit me right in the feels because it was so close to home. You know, when she was like, please don't do this. And at this point, I mean, I guess you can kind of if you are sticking around and you haven't watched Navilera, you can kind of guess that like the Haraboji has Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. He's in the early stages, He's in the of, early stages of Alzheimer's, which you I knew immediately, like when he got lost the first time. 
Mm-hmm. When he got lost right. in the museum, I was you like, could tell it was some kind of cognitive decline. Yes, I was like, sure. oh no, he's got Alzheimer's yeah, or he's got dementia. Yeah. But earlier on, I I kind of was guessing like it was like a terminal illness, like yes. cancer. Yes. And then when he, like you said, when he started getting lost or having these like confusion moments, you're like, oh, it's something like dementia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm gonna take a little minute to talk to about Alzheimer's in Korea because I looked up about. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. In Tell Korea. us. So Korea is, as you already probably know, a population where a lot of the people are aging, just like Japan, for example. And it's the fastest aging country among the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, also known as OECD countries. Um, This is something I'm quoting, by the way, from a medical journal called the Annals of Geriatric Medicine and Research. So with projections showing it possibly becoming the country with the highest number of older people in 2075. So it's a very big concern in Korea, just like how to do elder care it's also a country where not a lot of children are being born or so there's this this fear of like in the future society won't be able to sustain or support their elderly population and in fact an article that i read um that interviewed Park Inhuan, the gentleman who played Haraboji, he himself said one out of four people in Korea are seniors. That's how many seniors there are now. Dramas, films, and plays are all works that reflect on contemporary society. I hope that subjects become more diversified, such as care facilities or nursing homes. So I think he means like film, the subjects of films, subjects of plays. Maybe they'll take place in, you know, they can't be a neglected population. So and Alzheimer's in general is just such a devastating diagnosis um, to get. And I w- I'm also going to just randomly say this here, that I thought it was interesting that as soon as Cherok realized that Haraboji had Alzheimer's, he was so devastated. And I was like, I wonder if it's super realistic to think, not to rain on this parade, that a 20 <laughs> however year old would like realize the gravity of this diagnosis. Mm, I Wow, just, that's a that's a good point. Is that I don't think I... This is hard because I my grandfather got Alzheimer's and I think I was in my late teens and I didn't think I mean, I was like, oh, yeah, he's going to forget stuff. But like as soon as I had to start coming over and changing his diaper, like things totally changed. I was like, oh, no, this is like a real uh, debilitating disease. Like in his case, he really I mean, it was a decline, but it wasn't as rapid as uh, other family members who also yeah. have been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. So I, for a 23-year-old to understand the gravity of the situation and think that it's a terminal illness, because it it is a term, to me, it is a terminal illness. Like you might not die from Alzheimer's, but you're going to forget how to hold a spoon. You're going to forget your family members. You, there is a sense of loss before the death. Actually, it actually is a rising cause of death in Korea when it's getting into the top 10 uh, causes of death. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, a lot of people just don't understand. Like I've talked to friends and other uh, family members who never had to go through it directly. And like, they don't understand. It's like, oh, they forget stuff or they repeat themselves. Like, you know, just play along with whatever they're saying. It's like, no, you don't understand. No. <laughs> so much more devastating yes. than that. It's not just that. And I and Cherok, it was obvious, didn't have like a ton of family members. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. did he have personal experience? Do you know someone? Yeah. Again, it's like another thing of this drama not giving us a ton of information, like background yeah. relation to work with with that. But he he understood that this was like such bad news for Haraboji and he felt so bad for Haramoni and for uh, Haraboji's granddaughter who he was kind of friends with. Like it, it was just, he realized the gravity, but is that like realistic? I don't know. <laughs> I agree. I agree. That didn't seem realistic to me. I, I mean, 
it seemed realistic to me as an audience member because I'm like, sure. oh, God, yeah, like that's <laughs> say goodbye because it's really it'll take I don't want to say it's going to take its time, but the progression is difficult to grapple with as a caregiver. And I think it's so unpredictable. So like exactly. He and he seemed very kind of shook about it. Like, oh, my gosh, Haraboji has Alzheimer's. And he was like struggling. Like, how do I break this news to anyone else in the family? Or should I break it this news? Or like it's his news to give. Mm-hmm. He was going through the struggle, which I thought was really well portrayed. And Song Kang did a great job acting all that out, that dilemma and his worry and his concern and fear. But I, but you know, for example, you had this personal experience of knowing someone with Alzheimer's, and that you were someone who was very close to you, and you saw firsthand like what they go through on a day to day basis as they continue to progress. I don't know if Chadok had that experience or how he exactly knew. I was just wondering, and I was really curious. I was like, how does he know? It was not like mm-hmm. I was like, oh, he doesn't know. That's ridiculous. But I was just more like, how does he know? Like mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. really amazing that he knows. And I was c- curious. Yeah, he's so that. attuned to it. It was right. it was kind of bizarre. I almost thought for a second his mom had it or something because True. I was like, How did his mom die? Yeah, they <laughs> never said. They never no. said how she died either. So that they didn't say hardly anything <laughs> about his mom, and I was like going he, crazy. He kept about visiting. It. He kept visiting her and talking to her while in the columbarium, and I'm like, but how how did she die? Like why? Did she yeah, die so What suddenly? was the relationship like? Yeah. What was her relationship like with his dad, who, you know, obviously went to jail? Was she alive during that? I think she was. But anyway, I was like, I needed so much more about his mom and that, like, his life before his dad went to jail. Yes. And I wanted so much more from the dad character as well, yeah. who they seemed to want to have a, they did like a half-baked reconciliation with the dad. <laughs> And I definitely have baked. It's half baked because there was a couple of conversations, a couple of co- couple of words had, and then like what? We just forgive all the years of abuse. Like where I'm like, there's something okay, and missing. Yeah, did the dad abuse Chenok as well, or did he abuse him only as part of the soccer team? Why was he beating kids in the soccer team? Like I was so I'm, lost. Yes, it was a bizarre what thing. Was Why did he go to prison for beating children? I know it's kind of yeah not uncommon in Korea. I don't think to like to beat children, but uh, you know from like teachers or like I I mean I think it's less common now. But I know like there's other dramas where they show teachers practicing corporal punishment on students. So I was like, is this a crime? Like genuinely, I was like, is this a crime? Why was it a crime? Why was this incident a crime and not other incidents? Did he like he didn't like murder anyone? Not to sound flippant about it, but then the bully having this like whole. Agenda vendetta against the whole yeah total vendetta against the family like of course that makes sense because but then it was like but why because he's like my career's over and then the grandpa was like no it's not over and i was like what is going on right now like, <laughs> i don't get what anyone's doing in this drama <laughs> the bully i couldn't get a read on him for a lot of the times right. it was so one note and you're just like no, oh he he's- was like a good boy when he was like a little soccer player yeah and he was like a bully with bleached hair and then like just indiscriminately beating up people it seemed like and then I don't know it was weird I didn't like that no no okay and yeah, <laughs> okay go, go, go ahead uh, what were you gonna say okay I was gonna say one more thing about the best friend uh Tarok's best friend who was the goalkeeper in the soccer team and knew the bully and but yeah wasn't really afraid of the bully because he's like this is not my deal this is between like Tarok's dad and the bully <laughs> I was like what are these relationships because he seemed close to both of them sort of on like no you're not friends with the bully but he seemed like they like had this history. They they were teammates. Yeah. They knew each other. They were maybe friends. And then when the dad goes to jail, but that surely was not the first time he like whooped all these soccer players. So like I don't really. Know I don't. Korea. Yeah, there's so many questions. Unanswered questions are piling up here. <laughs> Here's a question we can probably answer though. Do you think Song Kang is a good actor? 
So at first I was like, this guy is not good. Okay. I've never seen <laughs> oh, <laughs> Love okay. Alarm and I haven't watched Over the Last and I haven't watched a lot of them, but I know he's okay. very popular. So I kind of had high expectations in my mind for him. And at first I was like, this is not good acting. But then I realized, actually, it was pretty good acting because the parts where, so Cherok, just to like backtrack a little, Cherok was essentially abandoned in a way. Like his mother died, so she didn't intentionally abandon him, but she's gone. And then his dad is like in jail, also not intentional, but he's gone. And he's like just so alone. And he's the struggles where he's like alone in his apartment and it's just like hitting him in like emotional waves that I'm alone and no one's there for me and uh, I have to survive somehow I have to like my dad doesn't even care is how he feels right he just like pieces out after his release from prison and I think I thought those quiet moments where he's just like going through really deep emotions were so amazing because he doesn't say anything right it's like not there's no dialogue right really. okay it's just feeling the feels so here's no, I think he's you think he is a good okay Here's my take. <laughs> this is a hot take. All right. I don't think Song Kang is a good actor. Okay. I mean, I didn't either at first, so. I please, please have watched him in The Liar and His Lover. I've watched him in season one of Love Alarm. I've watched him in Nevertheless. I don't think he's a good actor. There's something about looking at Song Kang and there's something about his little beady eyes that I can't get a read on. <laughs> I feel like there's nothing there and that scares me. <laughs> That there, it I seems think, so empty. Yeah. He seems so empty a lot of Emotionless. the time. Emotionless. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what happened with Navilera, where I was like, this guy is, doesn't emote. And then I was like, well, his character is sort of like, you know, a trauma response is to be like in a frozen sort of state, right? If that's what you want to call it. I'm kind of diagnosing him from over here without any credentials. But if he's like, <laughs> <laughs> if he's like traumatized or if he's like going through it, essentially, and he just can't, like, he doesn't have time to feel his feelings, it sort of then did make sense that he's so like stony and like emotionless and but um but then like yeah I thought he had his moments I'll say that he had his moments I would agree that in this show he probably did the best that I've seen him act especially like when he, he was driving a car at one point he was like freaking freaking out because he can't drive very well I was like okay some emotion he's acting the goodbye when scene. when he was looking for Chera, uh, Harabodi? Yes yeah that was good at too. At the aquarium or like in general in the bathrooms of the ballet studio right yeah he's panicked and you're like okay i feel this i feel the urgency i feel the panic i think when he said goodbye to haraboji in the airport as well i was like oh god song kong you're bringing it it was very emotional because he starts crying too and they hug which is very uncommon in k-dramas for two male figures to hug and i was like oh god so I would say that he did the best in this one. Still not stellar. Still not a great actor to me. I think he has a long way to go. He's got the model look, but like not the chops, the acting chops yet. So that's the end of my hot take. Okay. Um, Oji's wife, she goes through quite an arc actually, where she is very close-minded and upset at his at him learning ballet. And I just, I was had very little sympathy for her. I was like, she has no leg to stand on. And I, I just didn't, I felt so much anger toward her towards the first half. I did too, because the reasons she gave were ridiculous. She's like, don't you want to live for your kids? Why are you doing your own thing? And I was like, what? He's retired. Like, what do you want him to do? His kids are, his kids are adults. Like, what's he supposed to do exactly? Like, she kept packing food for them and like giving them, like, come over and get the soup. Come over and get this, whatever she made. Mm -hmm. And that's nice. But they didn't need that. It wasn't Mm -hmm. like these children, adult children had any kind of need that 
the Haribuji should have been attending to. And so she was just getting mad at him for like no reason. She's yeah. like, this is ridiculous. Every moment you live should be for your kids. It's like, what? This is ridiculous. Even for like Asian family. <laughs> yeah, like, she had a skewed ver- version of like what her role is at this point in life. Where she was still trying to be the mom, and it's like, no, you're you're pretty much done. Like they're already cooked. Like the yeah. youngest, the magne is thirty nine years old. You're done. Right, <laughs> right, right. He said that so many times. He's like, I'm thirty nine. I'm thirty nine. <laughs> yeah, he said that over and over again. And now I remember it. But when she guilts him into quitting ballet, I oh god, I was seething. I was seething. No, when she cut into his leggings, Ooh. I was ready to throw something. Oh my god, I was, I was so throwing. Mad. Oh my god, that was the worst. The worst ever moment yeah in, like that whole drama i felt like was when she cut again really cut up his dance leggings yes dance he like, cut up his leotard and then said yeah. age gracefully like that was the thing she kept saying like age gracefully just go hiking with me like why do you need to do she this she was just like you're such an embarrassment you're so and i did feel like like her deal was like the status quo that she like worked so hard to achieve and wanted to maintain at all costs for her kids even like her kids had to live up to it i feel like in her mind her husband had to live up to it she had to live up to it and i think and i know they struggled in the early days of their marriage uh, but then she was so hung up on it still. I was like, this is ridiculous. Yeah, you don't you don't give her an inch in this show as an audience member. She yeah, she kept citing her kids. She was like, uh, they were just too poor to send their kids school fees when they were younger. And the kids grew up well, despite all these circumstances. So can't he stop ballet for the kids now when they're so <laughs> against it? Like bullshit we've already established our grown-ass kids like let haraboji live <laughs> and they've achieved this level of success like you said like despite their yes they had hardships but now they're all kind of like maybe not as settled as she would like or as successful as she would like but they're there they're at the point she brought them up to be at so i don't know what more she really wants yeah why she needs to bring haraboji into this she kind of saw ballet as being this frivolous thing when they sacrificed so much to raise their kids but i'm, I'm like babe it's been 20 years since you were like raising a child so this is the time this is the time for him to he can do ballet it was very frustrating to watch the family have family meetings over the haraboji learning ballet like what is that why do we need a family meeting about this no idea. And Ludicrous. it's not like he t- put on a tutu, walked down the street, and then like went to ballet class. Like maybe that's an issue in their neighborhood. But that would have been an issue in their neighborhood. But he just was casually going to his studio, doing his thing, and coming home. That's it. Like it's like going to the gym almost. Yeah, he's it's not even hurting thing. anybody. Like No, no. <laughs> the asshole son, the oldest son. Yes. I call him the asshole son. The, he's in- the one I really was like, why are we? I didn't want to. I didn't care about him. Yeah, because he's, you can't root for him at all. Like, he's no. terrible. He, I think at one point, the his wife was going back to work, right? After 20 right. years, like, she's going back to work finally, full time. It's what she's wanted. Like, since the child was born, she's wanted to go back to work full time. And he was offended that she wanted to go back to work. Offended that she had an interview for the job. He was like... He was demanding that she still fulfill her responsibilities as a mom and a wife. So I really did not understand this because I feel like they met as sort of equals or peers or whatever, as colleagues, something. So why are you so weirded out by her desires to like go back to that status? Especially she did fulfill her duties as a mom and exactly. wife. Exactly. So like you want her to like keep packing bento boxes for you? Like I don't understand. Like it was very weird. It was very weird. It was so annoying. And then of course, his reaction to the dad starting ballet i mean he thought he kept saying that are you doing this to why are you doing this to me (laughs) like 
Like as I mean, if the dad he... starting ballet was like to spite him as a punishment right. to him. Like he's the victim. I think that was very much a reflection of his mom. His mom's attitude was like, you're ruining our whole family by you doing this little thing. And the oldest son or eldest son kind of mirrored that. Like you're ruining my life. I'm the most prestigious one here basically was his <laughs> attitude the whole time. So he's like, this is going to affect me the most. I have the most to lose. And and I guess it was supposed to show like his, him and his mom being on the same page whereas everyone else was like, we don't care this much, but <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the tide finally changes when that son drops in on them and sees the dad in his leotard and blows a gasket. Like he completely yeah. is out of line and disrespectful the way he speaks to his father. And finally the wife, the Hanwani is like, just starts hitting him and starts like, why are you talking that way to your your father? He's yeah. done so much for this family. You don't understand. Because he was saying stuff that like he's never, I've never asked you for a favor ever. You know, I've had to make sacrifices growing up while you got to live comfortably. And like, no, no, no. Whoa, it's the other way around. Pocket. Yeah. Out of pocket. <laughs> it's so, so disrespectful. So the mom finally, she sticks up for Haruboji and she says, yeah. Why does your why does our son's success have to make us feel so small? Why does your father have to feel sorry when you've grown up so well? That's so profound. Yeah. Yeah. So it, I love that line and I love that she finally is like do ballet. Like it's fine. Actually, for me, that was a moment too where she was like, because prior to that, she kept being like, I do everything for my kids. I sacrifice my whole life for my kids. And then she finally was like, actually, this should be more reciprocal than it maybe is. Like they they're they were kind of up until that point ignoring them a little bit. Like mm. they were always bugged by her and they're like, Oh, mom's texting again. Oh, I think she wants to pick up soup again or whatever. And they were like very bothered. And then she finally was like, Actually, you guys <laughs> need to <laughs> respect us and appreciate us. And that was kind of good. Yeah. I liked that part. Yeah. I have so many lines here. I cannot go through each one, but like I face my problem head on because I wanted to be happy. What makes you happiest? Someone asked me that question today, but I couldn't answer it. I'm going to find out. And that's something that Song Kang asks the granddaughter because they're like semi friends. (laughs) Yeah, that was an interesting relationship. And I, I don't think they really gave her arc a lot of play as much as they did in like the middle episodes where she is shown at work with Song Kang and she's getting treated badly. She's doing badly on the job. She gets played by her evaluator who wanted her to like translate her thesis paper into English and then gave her a C on the evaluation and like shot down her chances at landing a permanent position at the company. It was like all this drama. And then like, we don't get as much drama the rest of the show for her. She had like this really juicy moment and then like, yeah, it's done. Yeah. And then she's like, I love working in the radio. I was like, whoa, like that happened way too quickly. Like, yeah. Go from like she had this other idea of her life. And then she's like, I don't want this radio internship. And then she gets it. Then she's like, just kidding. I love it. And I was like, what? That happened so fast. That like, was weird, too. Yeah. Because at the end, she sits down with Song Kang and she's like, oh, yeah, I found it. I found what makes me happy. And he's like, what is that? She's like. Working at the radio station makes me. I was like, but, but hold on, hold on. How do we get there? You were being Especially awkward. Especially because she was just like a coffee bringer, yeah. like copies maker. She, she was, wasn't like a yeah anything important. Not to be mean. That is important. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> she wasn't doing meaningful work, right? Right, right. Fulfilling work. Or yeah, something like that. She was just uh, showing up. 
I do like that they didn't have any, like, it seemed like they were going to get, like, kind of romantical or feelings. <gasps> Let's or... talk about this because I thought this too. <laughs> I was like, oh, they're going to get, Song Kang and the granddaughter are going to make it as a couple by the end of the show or some something to that effect. Yeah. Never happened. Never happened. What the I, hell? It, <laughs> it was both frustrating, but I was kind of like, actually, this is good because for one thing, I think towards the end, maybe this, again, just me, but they almost have a sibling dynamic. They're like, we share a grandpa. <gasps> so now it's like, okay, we don't want them to get together. Also, to fulfill his dreams, there's no way he could really be with her because she's like working in a local radio station. He's like, I gotta go be a ballerina in Italy or whatever he was doing. <laughs> so it was kind of impractical. Um, and yeah, he just was so adopted by the Haramoni Haraboti that it seemed almost incestuous. It would have been almost incestuous. You know, that was my take on it. Right. And again, I could be reading this in a really weird way. But they did have this really nice camaraderie and understanding. And she's like, you look after my grandpa. And I think she had this such appreciation for how he did look after her grandpa. Mm-hmm, and she mm-hmm. recognized that, acknowledged that. And she was just like, I'm here for you, bro. Like, I mm-hmm. liked that dynamic as a change. But yes, at some points I was like, are they going to kiss? Are they going <laughs> to get together? But yeah. prior to all that, yeah, I was kind of hoping. Is but. Song Kang going to blankly look out a window and like they cut to the granddaughter and so he's obviously thinking of her? Like, no, it never happens. No, it never happens. <laughs> it's kind of refreshing, but kind of a letdown if you're into gay drama. I agree <laughs> completely. It is like, okay, I was expecting it. I would have been okay with it, but then they didn't do it. And I'm like, okay, yeah, platonic fr- friendship is okay too. Like, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Either right, way, right. but it was a bit of a fake out. Yes. Because they're compatible. They're compa- <laughs> yeah, they're compatible. Yeah. I was very emotional during the ballet scene in the snow. And there were three ballet scenes in the snow. <laughs> right, right. Where, and this one was in episode eight, where Haraboji loses his memory. And he's like been standing in the street frozen for like over 30 minutes. And he couldn't remember Chedok. So Chedok starts dancing in the in the walkway Park. there oh yeah. my god that was great beautiful beautiful Stunning. and you got the i uh parking one like his portrayal of someone so freaked out cannot doesn't know where he is doesn't know who he's talking to doesn't know what's happening is just having this like moment where his alzheimer's symptoms are flaring if, if that's the way i could describe it um i thought that was such a good portrayal because he looks so freaked out and then um and then putting that scene in, the writers putting that scene in with Song Kang, like, dancing to jog his memory mm. was so genius, I thought. Like, yeah. you know, he, he he could have just been like, remember, we take ballet together and I'm your teacher. He did do a little bit of that. But then he's like, okay, I'm just going to start dancing. Because it shows how yeah. this art is so moving. Especially yes. for Harabuji in particular. It's more than words. It's more than anything else. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> it's transcending, you know? Yes, totally. Oh, God. Great word. It was beautiful. And I didn't care that that wasn't. Song Kang <laughs> dancing in, yeah. in the, the, the silhouette or whatever. Right. I was just moved. I was moved when that scene came up. And of course, Haraboji does remember him. He like, it does jog his memories. So it's, I think of it as like movie magic because in real life, I do not think that a little dancing boy will jog <laughs> an Alzheimer's patient's memory. You never know. You never know. It's a very unpredictable disease. And a funny story, my grandmother, she just recently passed away like a couple of months ago, but she... Sorry to hear that. Thank you. She also got dementia in her way later than my grandfather did. She was um, in her late 80s, but she got dementia and it was a very rapid decline for her. But she never forgot that my friend 
met her husband on a cruise. Like they would come and visit. She wouldn't remember who they were. And then they'd start talking to me like, oh, yeah, you guys met on the cruise, right? So like <laughs> so random. Funny. Yeah. The most random thing that she remembered. But uh, the dancing in the snow sequence in episode 10 also shook me up. That was when Harabaji starts dancing in the like lights from the car and it's snowing again. Oh, my gosh. I, I thought it was interesting because the traditional K-drama trope is snow means romance, right? First snow, first time you like get together or whatever. It's like there's always all these things about snow. Not that this was first snow necessarily, but in this drama, they use snow for these pivotal moments that are related to ballet, which mm. was like in a way his first love, if you think about it. I'm getting, too into, getting too into no, this. No, keep going. <laughs> keep going. Um, but yeah, like it's something that's so meaningful and, and his passion and he like kind of tamped it down for so long. And then every time it snows, there's like this important dance scene. I thought that was a nice, again, I, I kind of appreciate some of the variations away from the regular drama tropes and regular expectations of what the drama will be because it's so much more creative and kind of more meaningful, I thought anyway. Yes. Beautiful interpretation of that because, yeah, snow is usually a romance thing, but this is a romance with an art form. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know? Yeah. It's a really good way to put it. Yeah. Beautiful. I I think that I kind of lost it and started crying during the family meeting where they're talking about the nursing home situation yeah. and that discussion that all the kids have with each other. That's and when I, the granddaughter was my hero. The, <laughs> so they're talking about what they're going to do, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the oldest son says, oh, we're going to take him. We're going to take him in. We're going to take care of him. And that's when the sister says, no, you know, uh, we're going to take him in. And her politician husband steps and se- steps up and says it before she can get the words out and says, no, we'll yeah. take him. I, I've been in these conversations. You know, I've been in these family meetings. What are we going to do? Because it's getting worse. And you guys can't take care of, uh, you know, so-and-so. Uh-huh. So it almost felt like I've been I've been in that room. And the tension, the emotions, and the fact that you have to kind of have to put on a different hat because you have to think logically. Mm-hmm. You cannot think emotionally. Like, what are you? Mm-hmm. He he cannot take care of himself. He can't stay by himself. But I work full time. Right. I cannot be with him twenty four hours a day, and he needs twenty four seven supervision. So something's got to give. Yeah, my my family's from Bangladesh, and there's like a big stigma about like nursing homes. Or Oof, let's talk like, about like that's like abandoning your family, yes. and you have yes, yes, to yes, be yes. the one to take care of your family. So the elder son was like, "No, we we're the family," and the sister was like, "But realistically, we need help. We yeah. need professional nurses or whoever to come. We either in the home or we have to send like you know." It was like a huge emotional battle, but that struggle between logic and emotions, I thought, was really well portrayed. Really well portrayed. It was a very well written and like you said I come from a Hispanic culture it's the same exact thing in our culture where the older you get that the older generation expects that their children will take care of them in their old age no matter what going into a nursing home is like not an option it's taboo like you don't do that it seems like you're you're abandoning your your family member throwing them away or something yes like just like putting them away in a nursing home and that's that's not the case at all. I've learned no. I've had to unlearn this, actually, like as a as a Hispanic coming from this culture and dealing with it firsthand three different times. Actually, Ugh. I I feel completely that it's not the case. You're not abandoning your family member. You need help. They need help. 
they need specialized help. Right. That is a taking care of them. Yes. To give them the best care. If unless you're a trained geriatric nurse, you're not going to be able to provide that care or geriatric doctor. You got You need to leave something. A diagnosis like this. This is not just regular aging or whatever you call it. This is like a different thing entirely. And they're not capable and they're not equipped, especially if you have a full time job, especially if you don't know what you're doing in this scenario. And you do need to consider something like a home or a special facility or at least in-home care, something. Yeah, something. I mean, in my case, it, it went three different ways. So my grandfather, my grandmother swore that she would take care of her husband. She's going to do it no matter what. And she took care of him for seven years. He was bedridden and she took care of him on his own, on her own. Would not rec- Zero out of 10 would recommend because it really um, chipped away at her spirit, chipped away at her um, uh energy and it felt like it aged her a lot more and she needed help all the time so we were going over there all the time we were moving him you had to move them so he wouldn't get bed sores and then he got a bed sore and it was devastating and it was all all these things (sighs) zero out of ten would recommend that my aunt got um what's it called frontotemporal dementia which is an early onset dementia she was in her 50s and she basically got dementia and the same thing she became bedridden she couldn't function and my grandmother was like, I'm going to do it all over again. I'm going to take care of her. And we were like, no, we're not going to do that again. It went horribly. You need help. Right. You can't deal with her on your own. So we hired a, a help. We hired a nurse who would come and like take care of her during the day and help out and stuff, which again, I don't think that was enough at all because they didn't want the nurse to, or have another nurse to spend the night and have an overnight nurse. Mm-hmm. So it was like wild at night that, because sundowning is a real thing. And then my grandmother, which was most recent, um, you know, we we were, I'm older now. So I was, I had more of a say in like what the care was going to look like. And I was like, you guys can't do this. I was talking to my dad, right? He's the only son left and they were doing their best. My mom was basically the politician in, in this story where she was, she married into the family and she was like, we're going to do it. We're going to take care of her. And Which she, is a sweet sentiment. Yes. Such a sweet they, You know, it's hard because when my family, my mother's parents died young. And so the my my father's parents, my grandmother, were they were like a second parents to her. And they oh. it was like a, they've known each other for like over 40 years. So it was very much uh, an emotional th- uh, decision to make logically to now is that we can't do this anymore we have to put her in a home with memory care which was a whole nother thing right because there's nursing homes for people that don't have dementia and then there's memory care which is like a whole nother thing but I mean in this case seeing this conversation in Navilera and seeing how they kind of like were like oh he's doing okay right now like we can take care of him like again this is when I was like you don't understand it's like progressive yeah. like they progressive, will yeah. not be able to maintain this like he will not remember the moment where he forgets them in the final episode mm-hmm. and it's it's the day d-day the day of the performance and he forgets everybody forgets like who he <sighs> is forgets how to dance i was like oh no and then i have i have a little bit of pessimism like in my view because i'm like well who knows when he'll reset and like be able to uh, remember everything and the family's face when they the relief and joy when he recognizes them finally I found that heartbreaking M- most people would be like oh yes he can he can do it he can he can dance in the in the showcase and I'm like oh no girl like 
because you this is heartbreaking because there is no doubt in my mind that this is going to happen more frequently and the times when he remembers them is going to be less and less it was so sad so to me it was it was sad it was heartbreaking (laughs) it was like it's weird as a viewer and you're just thinking of the these characters and you're like i want to see the dance like (laughs) right right for the dance we built up to this uh but yeah i and then it was so heartbreaking when he couldn't recognize his wife he couldn't recognize chadok he didn't remember ballet and then he like he's sort of getting it again and they're like all right you gotta like remember and he's like it's so much pressure i feel like that level of stress on someone who's going through a diagnosis like this would kind of exacerbate their symptoms almost Mm. more so i was like and it was a moment for me where like is this realistic i don't know but we're in drama land so i'll just like go with it (laughs) right yeah speaking of things that are in drama land i noticed that song kong was using chopsticks with his left hand Mm. and then when he wrote the like spell quote unquote in the ballet shoe Shoe. for Haraboji, he was using his right hand to write. (laughs) And I was like, wait, is Song Kang ambidextrous? Uh, He could just, like, I know some people are left-handed do some random things with their right hand, so maybe that's all it was. Or, like, at school, maybe he was, because I was actually born left-handed, and my parents read something in the news about, like, studies show left-handed children, blah, blah, whatever, or adults grow up to something. So they were like, oh, you're switching to your right (gasps) hand, and they had to, like, train me. So he's no like, way. So he may not be necessarily ambidextrous, but maybe he like was told at school you gotta write with your right hand. Oh, and so, I, I don't know. Yeah, I've heard of that happening. I actually, the only thing that I do lefty is play pool. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know why, and I didn't learn. Like I wasn't like someone's gonna teach me how to play pool. It's like a natural. Like this feels comfortable. I can control it. Like this is just, and I, I don't know why. If you, if anyone is listening out there and is like, I can do things with my right hand that I can't do with my left hand, vice versa, let us know, like, how are you oddly ambidextrous? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is there anything else that you would like to say about Navilera? Um, because we're coming up on like the end of the show. Well, I just wanted to touch on Cherok's coach, the former famous ballerino himself who had a back injury. Yes. Whole deal with his ex-wife slash new wife. And that was a very strange part, like a person to me. I didn't know how to feel about him. It seemed like Cherok was hiding his struggles with like you know i'm alone i'm trying to like live on my own i have multiple jobs he wasn't telling him Mm -hmm. and i was like what about cherok did this ballerino guy find so like he said it but we didn't like see it or if we did we didn't like come through to me that this was like amazing dance work for like a almost untrained child um but he like took him under his wing and he's like this is my protege and i was like but why and then he like had this whole deal with his ex-wife and i was like but why and then uh, you know he was famous and then his like career went to end and they didn't show like any almost any of his like struggles with that depression or whatever uh feelings he might have had after that he just was like anyway now i have this uh ballet company and i was just like what are we doing with this guy um he seemed fine but yeah, I, I agree. I thought that they, again, a half-baked uh, subplot with this guy and his background where I didn't quite understand like what was happening until like the later episodes where he was like, I was in a rut. I got this injury. I tried to dance through it and it ended up ending my career. And not, so yeah. he had like an identity crisis, an existential yeah. crisis. And then Song Kang came into the picture. So I was like, oh, he was dancing until like recently then. Yeah, and it all happened so fast. Mm-hmm. This like revelation about exactly how this all went down was very, very fast in one episode. And I was like, oh, there's like no like build up or like, and it's not about him. I get that. The show's not about him, but it was weird. I also, I did appreciate though for Navilera how there was like this sort of 
um, it was kind of diverse. There's like an elder person trying to do ballet. There was that ballet company that had like the wheelchair user. Yes. Yeah. Um, that was really cool. But I thought it was weird and kind of unlikely that really very little was about men in ballet. There was no like, like the bully wasn't bullying him about that. Which <gasps> True. Is like, that's like, like bully him about that. Maybe like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know why you're here. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't really make that the girl was not weird no one was weird out and i feel like in korea maybe um people would be more like I don't yeah know, they didn't talk about like the gender politics of it yeah yeah where they did talk a little about the elderly like yeah he's too old to do ballet okay fine but they almost they glossed over Ooh, gendered uh stuff you are completely right because i think that's more realistic than probably a lot of the other subplots that they had going on and totally. what they were bullying like the bully <laughs> bully was like bullying out in a very complex way like a complex reason yeah. for the bullying and i was like no man simplify simplify <laughs> yeah i wonder if the webtoon kind of delves into this more i i didn't read it oh so. right right yeah no i didn't either i forgot to mention that in the first half but i agree the bullying could have been a little more traditional <laughs> So I, I mean, that's why I found it all very distracting. And and the fact that they kind of divulged the reasons for some of these things very late in the game. I was like, well, now I don't even care. I've like accepted that this bully is weird. I've accepted that this coach guy like kind of cares about Chirok, but kind of doesn't care about Chirok. Mm-hmm. And I kind of was just like at peace with these things. And they're like, oh, this is why. Or like, this is what happened. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot I cared about that <laughs> four episodes ago. <laughs> I... I... I agree. And I think we've been bashing this show a lot more than I like intended to bash it. But this show genuinely, it's worth watching. I would recommend it to people. It has a lot of this. um, I think we mentioned this in the My Mister episode, but like this Korean concept of Chong, which is like a kindred spirit, someone you're not uh, related to by blood who seems to have this strange connection with you. And that is the relationship between Song Kang's Cherok and the Haraboji. Like they have this like weird sort of connection where they understand each other and they're almost like two sides of the same coin. They're like soulmates. They're they're soulmates essentially. Like that's the only equivalent of this relationship is just saying that they're, they're soulmates. And that's why I like this show is uh, this one well that's why i liked my ajushi too it's the same thing mm-hmm. right like you just said it's like uh sometimes in dramas i love romance dramas don't get me wrong but it's kind of nice to see like there's nothing romantic going on but it's very deep and intimate anyways mm. or i guess in my ajushi there's like slow, sort of like mini yeah, but yeah. um <laughs> but it was it's more like this intimacy that is very much unspoken it's not like super outward and they both are feeling at the same time and i think about that in real life like the energy vibrations like between them must have been like really so intense and the chemistry between the actors is so good like i was totally buying that chadok was friends with like a 70 year old man he's like 23 (laughs) yeah yeah. but his buddies his best friends like the 73 year olds and the and even when haramuni like adopts chadok immediately she's like okay you're my grandson now and i was like this is this is so heartwarming it's precious it's It's precious this show goes out to all the dreamers out there who want to pursue something that seems like a pipe dream that seems unlikely that seems like you have no talent you shouldn't be wasting your time this one goes out for all of you, all of us. Like there's so many quotes in here, like just trust yourself and keep going. Happiness could be felt in the little details. You don't always have to achieve something grand. Even if you make a mistake, don't stop. Just keep going. It's like almost like a love letter to the struggle, to the grind, to trying something new. And it's it's beautiful. It's very encouraging. And I like that about the show, the, just like the grander themes of it where 
you don't have to be a young spring chicken to learn ballet, which is a highly technical, athletic uh, performance art. And your goal doesn't have to be like prima ballerina right. of blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, that is a good goal because Benaira is going to make the, you know, get there. And mm-hmm. so just pursuing something for the sake of pursuing it is also valuable. Yeah. I, I loved that part of the show. I loved that, you know, don't give up. All of these like almost mantras that the show explores and talks directly to the audience at times, it feels like. And some of the dialogue right. feels like it's like fourth wall breaking because they're tr- it's like so uplifting <laughs> and they're speaking directly to you the audience it yeah like yeah it seems time. like that yeah um and then of course they put on all these extra clothes with all of the other subplots and it was too much man yeah. and i didn't i just still don't get why his best friend like it was like the worst best friend ever or like he was the worst best friend to him <laughs> i was like he i was like what is this relationship but um but yeah, he had a lot more love than he felt like he had. And I thought that was interesting to show because he was so alone, but he wasn't. And then the new friends, the found family aspect of it with, mm-hmm. of course, Haraboji, but then Haramoni took him in immediately. The, his his f- play cousin, his like, you know, his um, <laughs> Haraboji's <laughs> granddaughter. That also was really um, touching. I thought that. Yeah. Was I thought Navilera means something in Spanish because to me when I read it, I was like, oh, it's it does some kind of it's a maybe it's a Spanish word or something. No, it's not. It's a yeah. Korean word that combines yes. the word for butterfly with an old literary suffix and it roughly translates to like a butterfly. Yes. Butterfly esque. <sighs> God Sorry, damn. not this time. The the Spanish Korean oh, yeah, uh, no. drama crossover <laughs> as a telenovela. <laughs> yeah, it'll happen one day, but not yet. <laughs> yeah, no, that this was not it. But I love that the word has something to do with the butterfly. And then there was a lot of aspects of the show where they said a lot of dialogue where they said, "Did you soar? He's going to soar like an eagle," mm-hmm. and just representing that sort of potential that is yeah. within both of them, both Song Kang's character and the Haraboji. I also like that they talked a lot about like how important it is to practice basic steps. Even if you're a pro, mm. even if you're like the the best ballerino in Korea, like you still have to practice the basics. You have to go back to basics and not neglect how important that is or not neglect your body. Like when the ballerina coach guy, uh, ballerina coach guy was injured, but he like danced through it. Like those are all lessons. So yeah. many lessons in this show. Yes. Really. It's lesson heavy, but I like it. <laughs> That's yeah, what not I like. In a preachy way. No, it's no. not preachy. No, no. It's just encouraging. It's touching. I thought. It's touching. Yeah. And also Butterfly, I, I know you haven't watched Nevertheless, but Butterfly and Nevertheless are directly related and there's something oh. about a tattoo in there. So like oh. I don't want to say nothing much, but I don't want to spoil Nevertheless, but it's it's very fitting that this <laughs> Navulera also means like a butterfly. For Song Son Kang. of Netflix. Son of Netflix, Song Kang. <laughs> Son of Netflix. <laughs> okay. I, I think I've reached the end of my notes. Did you have anything? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. The Soin Guk cameo in episode oh, nine. Oh, I know. I was like, is that Soin Guk? Is that him? Is that him? Like, I was having a moment. I was like, am I hallucinating this? Um, yeah, that was great. That's yes, great. I freaked out. And I'll tell you something. I didn't think that I was such a Soin Guk fan. But every time, like, he walked into the room. Uh, and you don't even see his face. I just saw like silhouette, like the, his body. And I was like, is that sewing gook? <laughs> Apparently I know him by like the shape of his, his general body. So I was like, huh. I was like impressed with myself that I was like, oh God, it's sewing gook. And they hadn't even done any close-ups on him yet. So kudos yeah. to me for being a, a closet sewing gook 
super fan, apparently. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, I was going to also mention the Taman OST because I love him. Um, and I, it was like a, such a easy breezy little song. It wasn't like, it wasn't like Taman doing all his like Taman-y like, <laughs> stuff, but it was like, <laughs> but it was, it was like a sweet song and his voice was really uh, soothing in that song. So the, to me, that was like a, its own cameo, right? Taman, Soin Guk, just like stealing the scenes. Oh, <laughs> God. Yes. Thank you for that. The Timon and the sewing goes on the OST. Yes. Beautiful all around. Um, is there anything else that you would like to add about Nevalera? Um, I wanted to add a little bit about um, the Webtoon writers, what they said, and something about yeah. doing ballet. So the Webtoon writers, uh, who also were part of the drama creation or, or production or something, they mentioned, so this is from an article. I'm just going to quote it. It says, uh, Park, it was just Park Inwan, the person who played Harabuji is 76 years old. Okay, so side note, he's playing a 70-year-old, but he was 76, and he does not look 76, whatever that I thought looked like. It was not that. But anyway, it says, Park is 76 years old, and while he may have found the ballet scenes difficult, Han said that he didn't want to cast a younger actor and use special makeup because he thought it was important to get across the lifetime's worth of wisdom through each word and wrinkle of the actor. He added that he had no doubt that Park could pull it off. And then um, for his part, yeah, so cute. And I also appreciate it. Like, again, bringing, bringing more diversity and everything into K-dramas is, is always important. So I think considering like an elder actor as opposed to like aging mm. uh, young actor, I thought it was important. And so Park Inwan himself said in another interview, he just I thought this was funny. He said, um, uh, it was challenging enough that I had to wear ballet outfits that stuck to my body, said Park. <laughs> <laughs> when you become my age, it's hard to exercise because your body gets stiffer. I took on the challenge as if I was doctor and trying something new. Aww. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, and he also talked about how his granddaughters like laughed at him at the thought of him like doing ballet, but that now they just keep playing all his ballet scenes oh! from the show. <laughs> That's adorable. That's adorable. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's beautiful. And uh, you know what? I was kind of right, though, because it sounds like he was a little bit self-conscious about the tight clothing that he wore. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know a lot of times in Korea, a lot of men in leotards or tights will put on like shorts over it anyway. Oh, so yeah. I think like culturally, yeah, that might have been a consideration. Um, but I did think, too, maybe they were because they could have just done like a lot of feet close ups. Mm-hmm. They didn't really do that as much either as I thought they might. So maybe it was like a combination of like mo- modesty and we're not professionals out here. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, if, uh, if that's all you have for Navilera, I definitely want to thank you so much for coming on and providing so much insight. You did research for this, which is amazing. <laughs> um, not only like watching all this, all these hours of television, but coming on and being so prepared. I want to thank you so much. I hope you had a thank great you. time. I did. The, okay. <laughs> yeah. I love your podcast. So, uh, you. you know, where can we find you online for those who don't know? Um, I'm on Twitter at Kpop Bookshelf and I'm on Instagram. I think it's uh, Kpop Bookshelf Pod. I don't know. I forgot already like what my handles were. <laughs> They're a little bit different on each, but I'm on Instagram more than Twitter. I can tell you that. So yeah. Yes. And you have wonderful book recommendations, obviously, because your your podcast is about reading the book and then discussing the book. And I actually bought one of the books that you recommended. It oh, was really? like, yeah, the Korea, a history book. I had okay, a beautiful nice. cover on it. I think you yes. like you got the hardback and I got the I, I got the paperback because Good. that was like the only thing. It was thing. expensive. It was expensive, <laughs> but like I was like so in love with the cover and I was like, oh yeah, I want to read about Korean history from like a, an actual well, expert. 
And I think a lot of K-pop fans, K-drama fans, and not to say this is good or bad, but sometimes we are a little bit superficial about our knowledge of Korea. And mm. we're just like, yeah, Ramyun and Chil. Or like, we take like weird little <laughs> like pop culture things and run with it. And I am someone who is like, wait, what are they eating? What are they doing? What's the sunbae? Like, I have like mm. a thousand questions. So I was like, I wanted to start the podcast as a way for me to learn about Korean culture in a more in-depth way. So that gives better context to what I'm consuming from a media standpoint. So Beautiful. Love to hear it. That's where that comes from. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for coming on the show Thank again. Um, well, that's been our show. I'm Jessica, and this has been the ATC Presents Debake Rambles podcast. <laughs> Thank you.